everybody, welcome to Read This, Read That. I am Jackie Reed. I'm Joanne Reed. I'm the head wrap one today. We switched places. I just finished doing, you know, the TV show. So I, I rarely, I mean, I have worn the head wrap on my uh, television show, I but know. I haven't done it lately because I'm so happy with this latest wig. This yeah. is Boo. Uh, very happy with her. I'm thinking about the next wig just really going in a totally different direction, you Ooh. know? I like this idea because it's spring. It's time for a new look, right? Because I'm thinking, you know, I'd have told you I want to cut all my hair off. Like I, yeah. I just washed. I did the hair wash this last weekend and did the struggle, the two hour plus struggle, washed it last this past weekend. And it just reinforced once again, I'm like, even if I could get like the perfect blowout right now, I don't, I don't, I don't even want it. I just want to cut my hair off. Yeah. Why would you blow it out? Why wouldn't you just wash it and let it dry and just put yeah. product on it and let it curl? Well, no, actually, I'm sorry. I take that back. The last, the previous time I did the blowout, this time I did, I washed it and I did each individual curl with the, with the stuff and left it and then let it dry. And then I undid it the next day so I could see my, my hair and it yeah. looks cute, but it's like, do I want to do that every time? No. Yeah. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I mean, I, I'm not going to go back to relaxers and I'm, I, I want to wear my hair, but I'm still most comfortable with the wig situation. And now I'm thinking, you know what I wish I could do? I wish I could do like, is there a, can you do braids in a wig? Is there a braids there wig? There is a braided wig. Yes, there's braided wigs. There's wig wefts that you can like put in like a weave that you can clip in. There are so many options right now for black women's hair. That it's no, I don't want to weave my hair. I don't want to attach anything to my hair that would That's strain. The strike, yeah. you know, my, the edges, my edges uh, took a beating from my couple years of wearing braids from like 2018 to 2020. I had, and I loved my braids, but know. you know, Giselle, who does both our hair, she banned me from getting braids. She was like, your edges, no, not, that's not going to work. They're going to ruin your edges. So now I'm doing all these treatments in my edges to get, bring my edges back, but she won't let me wear braids. She literally is bossy. She won't let me Girl, do it. Listen, your edges called her and said, listen, we're my about edges to, oh, it's like two of us left. What we <laughs> Hello, Giselle. Yeah, this is Joy's edges. What the ones of us that remain, um, we, we don't lost all of our friends and she's really like harming us. So can you please intervene with her, please? So. Yeah. They are like, we have died off. <laughs> <laughs> she done killed us. <laughs> she done killed us. She done killed us. Oh my God. So yeah. So um, what is your wind down for this week, ma'am? I understand you have a bit of an announcement. I do. So uh, my wind down is the same as your wind down from last week, Miss Cousin Jackie Reed. I am now Fauci'd. I'm half Fauci'd. Here's my, my band-aid. I am, I am Fauci'd. Not to the max yet because I got to get one more Fauci. But I am, yes, baby, I'm 50% fauci and I'm feeling so good about it. I yeah. love it because I, I saw the daughter even made an appearance, the, the rare, the one who we shall not speak her name. Um, but I saw that she was even on your Instagram showing the day that you went and got your vaccine. Did it hurt? What was it like? How do you feel? Well, so, and it did not hurt. So yes, I did take much. She is my official sidekick. She goes with me because she, she's the girl Hank. Like Hank, the thing that's so funny about Hank and, and my daughter is that their personalities are so similar that they're, they've almost become interchangeable. <laughs> like they're so similar to each other. They say the same shit. Like they use the same slang and he's a white gay man and she's a black girl and they are so similar that they're, I you know, that. 
but uh, but but I love it. So yeah, so there's Winnie and Hank are the two sort of sidekicks. So I did take uh, Winnie. Up, up, sorry, I did take the daughter who shall not be named. We will we'll make sure the daughter who shall not be named uh, with me to the Fauci. It didn't hurt. That's number one. I, I barely felt it. You felt a little stick go in, but it didn't hurt at all. Uh, I did feel a little bit woo for like ten minutes. You felt a little bit like. Am I in this room, like away from your body a little bit for like 10 minutes? And I had a little headache for about 10 minutes. And then that wore off and I had a sore arm um, for like 24 hours. And that's about it. Now you're feeling kind of woozy. Did they make you sit there for the 15 minutes to make sure you didn't have any allergic reaction? So so where I went is a church um, that's here. Uh, in town and it was very efficient. They wave you through with your car, you go through, they put you on an iPad, check to make sure you had an appointment. Oh, so you um, did it from your car? No, 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 we, we, they just waved you through, you park, you come mm-hmm. out, you walk inside, you line up six feet apart, they hand you an iPad, you go through, you register, make sure that you are you, you know, make sure that you're the one there, show them your ID, you walk to the next station, um, they sit you down, they ask you the series of questions, did you, you know, are you feeling feverish? You know, all the normal COVID questions. And then once you clear that, they say, okay, you ready? They let you know which one they're giving you, which this case was Pfizer. And I, know I really wanted the Kizzy Dolly vaccine, but they didn't have that. They had Pfizer. So I went with that. So I'm so sorry, Dolly Parton. I will get back with you another time and we will be best friends. Um, and so I got my vaccine and then you walk to the next station where they give you a little timer and it's a 15 minute timer. And then they let they let you sit down in the waiting area till the timer counts down to zero so that they can observe you, make sure that you don't fall out or anything. Then you take that timer to the next station where they give you your next appointment and take back the time. It is it was so efficient. And then you there's the final step is the selfie place where you can go take a selfie because they want you to you to encourage others. And this oh, was wow. at a black, it was at a black mega church. Um, so efficient. Everyone was so friendly. It was like, and there was so many like signs empowering the black community saying, this is how we fight this together. We fight this as a team. There was one white lady who went through with us, but everyone else that was getting back was black. All the people who were working there were black. It was very empowering. Yeah. It was a white lady. There was one white lady who came through customer came through. She must live in the area and she signed up and that's where she went as well. So it was very welcoming. I mean, it was like every, you know, it was a, it was a really great experience. I have to say my other uh, guy who gave me the vaccines looked at my ID, realized who I was and asked if we could take a picture. So we took a, a little selfie for him to show, show his family. Um, so inappropriate. I'm sorry. There are times, and I know you're not going to say anything about this because that's not who you are. You're such a sweetheart. I just feel like there are times when you ask a celebrity for a picture and there are times you do not. I feel like in the midst of a vaccine, let's say it was something you wanted to keep private. I know you did not, but let I mean, it is a very personal moment. And I listen, I'm all for people loving on, you know, celebrities, you know, particularly you. I definitely want people to give you love, love, love. But it's just like that just, you know, it just it, the bathroom is another place. Restaurants when you are eating. I just feel like there are places at the doctor's office. You know, if you're at a doctor's office, no one should be asking you for a picture, particularly at the at the at the gynecologist. Oh my god. First of all, I love that you called me a celebrity. That makes me feel so good. And you are the best cousin ever. Um, that's adorable. But no, no, you know what's so hilarious? I have to tell you a story about this, Miss Jackie. 
Remember in, in October 2019 when I ended up in the hospital, the whole thing where I fell out, you know, almost fell out on set, the whole thing was like a nightmare, yes. terrifying. Oh, I'll never forget it. <laughs> One of the most bizarre portions of that was that when Hank uh, and Richard, who is the uh, main stage manager and Hank and they, the two of them went with me, got in the ambulance with me and went with me to the hospital. Baby, when I got there, now, you know, you are freaked out. You think, am I dying? You don't know what's yeah. happening. I was there for maybe seven, six, seven hours before somebody finally came in and was like, are you from MSNBC? And I was like, you've got to be kidding. I'm at my worst. I have the belt, I have the booty out uh, thing on, you know, where they make you put on the gown backwards. So it's like, I'm in my little booty out thing. I'm looking crazy. I got nothing but them socks they give you at the hospital and my, and my little gown. I do not want to even have this conversation. And it, it was it was a good six, seven hours before that happened. It was like, this is really just not the time. For the, and then there was a, a, a lady, an older woman who had her mama there. And she started in. And I'm like, your mother is there laying there sick. You should really be attending to her. <laughs> you should be yeah. focused on her, not yeah. on my ass. You know? uh, it yeah. is so annoying. I tell you, with me... What happened to me when I when my lung collapsed and I was hospitalized? Remember, um, remember that all too well. Yeah, the party room. I remember that. That was like a party, right? <laughs> Everybody came to the hospital. Everybody came. We were, I, was like, I was like, uh, I'm looking for. They was like, you looking for? But I said, I only said, I think I just said Jackie. They said, yeah, that's the party room right back there. That's where all the parties happened in. <laughs> like you, Torrey, Sherry Shepard. I got Shepard when I got there. <laughs> It was like I had all these people in there visiting me. Melba sent food. We snuck food into the hospital. You had food, a pastor, a celebrity pastor. Girl. You had Harry Shepard. It was a straight up party. I do remember that. Yes. It was the whole thing. <laughs> so you can't was... say nothing about people treating you like a celebrity because, honey, it was a celebrity room. Sorry. No but, celebrity. no, but listen to this. And I've never talked about this publicly. But listen, this was a very, and to this day, Joy, and I keep saying to myself, when I think about it, I'm like, I should say something to this hospital. So when I was there in the emergency room, when I arrived, I was by myself, right? And so you know how they have to, I don't know what it's called, but they put those things on your body that stick yes. to your body. They put them all over. Yes. When I came in, there was one nurse, right? Yeah. There, was, there was a guy that was a nurse and he, um, said to this other brother that was working there, I'm going to let you take this one, right? And I heard them what? say that. And so this black guy comes in, this brother, and he's all in, you know, I got to take my bra off and everything. He's all inside sticking stuff on me and everything. But, you know, I was, I was a little uncomfortable, but I'm figuring he's staff. So he was like, you know, aren't you Jackie Reed, ba, 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 you know, oh, I love you, da, 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 da. Then after that, after I got out of the hospital, he he hit me up and DM'd me on Facebook. No. Yes, no. he did his number. No. Girl, let me tell you. I oh, you should have so, reported that. I know, I know, I know. I had That's so much going on. Girl's a violation, but a friend of mine who I told about it, he was furious and he went and found that guy because I had his number, his, yes. his, his name from Facebook. My friend went and confronted him and was Good. like, you know, he, he gave him the business. But, you know, I, I don't know why I never said anything. I should have because I, to this day I feel violated about it. But I tell you where I also felt 
you know, not as violated, but violated when I went to get my shot on Monday, my okay. vaccine, shot, my first shot, I got the Moderna. Mm -hmm. So I go to this health center and, you know, my boyfriend was like, let's go early. My appointment was for 930. He's like, mm -mm, let's get there. Well, the lady said too, you should get there. People get here early. So right. I'm like, well, we got there. We got there like at about 815, 825. And you can see like they're, they weren't open. Right. So, but you slowly but surely, like people are starting to walk over there and get in line, right? Get in line. My boyfriend's like, mm -mm, you need to go on and get in line. You need to get in line. <laughs> I said, well, my appointment's not till 9.30. He's like, they'll take you early. Go ahead, go ahead and get in line. It's cold outside, right? And right. you know, I hate the cold, but I'm like, yes. okay, let me go ahead and get in line. So I'm in line. I'm about the 10th person in line. And these people ahead of me are not social distancing, oh, right? God. So I was the one that was six feet away from the person right. in front of me. And then the person behind me wanted to get close to me. So I stood out to the side because, you know, I'm thinking, look, people, we have we're here because we have oh, not been COVID. Right. You know what I mean? And so as and then the line just gets longer and longer and longer. So I'm thinking to myself, shoot, I'm glad I got here. I, my boyfriend was right. I'm glad I got here in line early. Right. Because I was like, surely when they open the door, I'm going to be one of the first ones in because it was a really right. big facility. Girl. The lady comes out. She starts putting cones down. She says, whoever is at nine o'clock, come to the front of the line. She said, not, not, not 915, not 930. Girl, it was like a hurt. People are running and coming to the front. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Girl, I was like, hang on. She said, I need two lines. If you're nine o'clock, get on this side. If you're anything after that, get on this side. Girl, it was all one line. Oh my people, God. So I started saying, girl, you know, the Girl Scout in me came out and it was also fierce. So I moved and sat on this, like they had a brick wall nearby. Right. I moved over, I sat on the brick wall and I'm watching this all play out. And people are like, you know, girl, it was a little chaotic. And I said, people were like, well, what time is your appointment? Well, mine is at 10. Well, mine is at 9.15. Well, mine is at, well, you should let me get ahead of you. It was starting to get, you know. Oh, no. And I said, listen. What she said was, was like, listen, people, <laughs> she said, if you are at nine, get on the right. If you are at anything after that, get on the left. There should be two lines. There should be two lines. And I was like, and y'all need to be social distancing. I said, people, we are all here because we have not been vaccinated. Come on, cousin. Girl, one lady was like, I'm not, I've been vaccinated. I'm just here with my husband. I said, well, most of us, most of us. And she was like, and then so I was, I kept saying that. And so as the nine o'clocks went in, the 915s, she was like, if you're a 915, come down with people who were like 10, 10, 30, y'all got to get back. It was, it was like a big crowd oh of people. It was crazy. And then so I said, I start saying this line, this line, this line, this line. And I kept repeating it. And then I'm just sitting there like, man, I could have been sitting in the car. So then finally she said, 930, you can come up to the front. So at 9.30, I, I, I jumped up. I said, I'm at 9.30. And this guy said, wait a minute, you don't work here? What? <laughs> he said, why are we listening to her? I said, because I heard what she said. And I'm trying to help you all out. Now, once we, once we got in, it was fine. It was just fine. But outside, it was a little chaotic. Now, see, that's not cool. And it, was this at a church? Where was this located? No, this was like a, a healthcare facility. See? And so it was like, girl, it was like a county healthcare facility. And I was like, listen, 
Y'all need to handle this situation outside. I'm telling you, you go to the black church for these because they were not playing any games. It was so efficient when I tell you. These mm. black people had everybody under control and the line was under control. Everything was so efficient because probably people were like, I'm here in the house of the Lord and I'm not going to act up because Girl, it is well with my soul until I mess up. And then that deacon lady, you know, the one in the white um, uh, nurse's uniform come up and start slapping <laughs> you with your hand. That Earth, lady probably somewhere. Earth. Girl, yeah. I mean, but you know, saints will act up, but I'm glad thanks things are well in that church. Saints will act up. Well, listen, can we just clink, clink to the fact that we've both been one, one Fauci'd? Yes! Clink, and clink. I, and we're clinking with, I, you sent me, th- my cousin, love you for sending me the sparkling rosé for, for by free, which you did send me. And he, I got to give you a funny story about this, even this box. You sent this to me. I don't know if you can see how mortal the top is. Child, whoever delivered it must have threw it at my porch. Are you serious? Because it was four bottles in there and one head was fully open and dripped all over the other one. Are you kidding me? Every one of the one was warped. The other one survived, so I refrigerated them. But they must have stood back and just went, woo, and threw that at the porch. They didn't come <laughs> near the porch and put it down. They threw it because when we I picked up, I was like, why is this box moist? It was not raining. They threw it. Girl, I'm sorry to hear that, but how do you like it? It's delicious. It's so good. So it's sparkling rosé alcohol removed. It's a little sweet, isn't it? It's like it's got a little sweetness to it. It's quite good. Let me tell you, it's it, it's less sugar than typical rosé, sparkling rosé. That's what I like about it. But I cut mine. You can see mine is really clear. Yeah. But I do I do a can of this, and then I do a same size can of uh, Perrier, and then I add a little grapefruit fruit juice to it but I cut it because it is even for me it's too yeah. sweet I mean I don't like sweet stuff anyway and then I put a little lime in it it's a great little I um, like cocktail. it it's so refreshing I'm gonna order a whole case of this it's good thank you yeah you're gonna love it free of course they're vegan um but they have huh. <laughs> I knew that <laughs> if you said yeah. it, if I got yeah. it from Jackie Reed I know that's vegan it's great and and I like it because it's a good substitute at this time of day that we're doing this podcast where I don't want to be right. drinking, but it's refreshing. And it is like having a little cute cocktail. I love it. It's like having a little cocktail, right? Clink, 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 Super clink. Cute. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. I know. So how are you getting through the Lent? Actually, did you do your wind down yet? What's your wind down, girl? Did I, yeah, mine was the, my, getting my vaccine. Okay, was so we vaccine. Both vaccinated. So yeah, how, are you, how are you getting through the Lent? Because I'm, I, uh, thanks you for sending me this. I've been holding off on it to try it here on the podcast. So mm. I cannot wait till this Lent bull BS is over. I mean, I love the Lord, but I love the Lord. Why? What's wrong? I want my cocktails back. I'm done with this. Like I'm here losing weight, doing what jazz, crazy ass jazz. You know, I done told jazz. She has two personalities. There's jazz who I love. And I named the other one Kiki. Cause Kiki crazy. Ooh, Kiki baby. is the one who trains me and she does the training and I did it today. She's a murderess. She's trying She's to kill me. She, she has me. no sympathy. I used to try to distract her with conversation. <laughs> hey, girl. Oh, your hair looks cute. How's your mom? How are your dogs? Girl, there's weather outside. Yeah. I would try to bring up anything I could to, to cause you, if you get her in a conversation, you can, the clock is ticking, right? The yeah. clock starts ticking and she don't realize, but girl, oh. It'll work. She is, and, it, and she can't count her count. This is, this is when she's telling you, you got five oh. more seconds. Five more seconds. 
four, <laughs> three. And you're like, that's not, you five seconds passed like 10 seconds ago. You know you that that's own. not five seconds. You need your own stop. You need to bring one of your kids in the room so they can say, uh-uh, mama, it's been five seconds. Or, uh-uh, mama, you did 13. She said you did seven, but you done done 13. Girl, her, she, her, the count is off. She's all, but she knows what she's doing. She's always trying to dig, make you do more and yes. hold longer. And I, I'm going to say it's working. She is, she's working my ass all out. You know what I mean? So it's like, it, she is good at what she does, but damn, she's like trying to kill my ass. Girl, Kiki is no joke. Crazy. She don't play. She don't play. Hmm. Oh, I At cannot all. wait. We cannot move forward without acknowledging the fact that uh, you will soon find out if you win an NAACP award. You have been nominated three, four times. I lose counts. It's so many this this year. How many nominations? I've been nominated for three, but I can already tell you. I know that already that I did not win. So I, I, I we already found out. So I, I will tell you that uh, the winner. Uh, we were nominated in the documentary category for the documentary that we worked on. Uh, Jr. But I am excited about who won. Erica Alexander uh, for her <gasps> film, Good Trouble, won that oh, one. I'm thrilled. Wow. So she won that one. Now, you, I knew I was going to win because who I was nominated against, come on now, Red Table Talk was in my best talk category. So I, they win every year. I mean, the yeah. same people win these, you know, let's just keep it real. I knew we weren't going to win because first of all, LeBron James was nominated against me for best host. And so was Trevor Noah. And Trevor Noah wins every year. And Trevor Noah won again this year. And in the in the talk show category, Red Table Talk was in that category. I don't even think Oprah could beat Red Table Talk. I mean, they just win every okay. year. So I, I, I knew how it was going to go. And I told people I have no shot. I'm, I'm thrilled to have been nominated. I really appreciate those who nominated me. And I appreciate the NAACP Image Awards. But I don't. people were like, oh, you might win. I was like, baby, I'm against Red Table Talk and Trevor Noah. That's never going to happen. So. I'm sorry. I don't know if because you're doing the show that you just don't realize what the readout is. Um, but no, you could absolutely win in the category and against everyone that you named. Your show is so well done. And it is, I mean, come on. Who's doing what you're doing? I appreciate no. it. You could no, no. I'm not just saying it because we family. I mean, no, it no, it really is well done and well put together, and you are a great host. Well, so no, I'm, I and I love those other people. I love Trevor Noah. I love Red Table Talk and Jada and what they are doing there. But I'm sorry. I think you are definitely uh, more than capable with the quality of work that you have put forth with the readout. Uh, you know, well you. deserving of an opportunity to win. So no, no, I disagree. I appreciate that. Well, and the only thing missing, so, you know, it, it, it was very exciting to be nominated again. This is the second time I was nominated for AM Joy before um, and got two last time. And so it, it's, you know, it's wonderful. And they send you a beautiful certificate which I will frame accordingly and put it somewhere if I can find some more wall space in this room. And, you know, that's the way it is. And the sad thing is, you know, this year there's obviously no red carpet and that was always fun to go to yeah. like the red carpet and get a nice dress, you know, and all that kind of stuff from Sukena. So, you know, part of the reason I'm also trying to lose weight, by the way, Miss Jackie, you know, I'm trying to get another Sukena dress because, you know, my favorite <laughs> dress I've ever worn, those two, the black and the red dress I wore to the 2018 or 2019 uh, NAACP Image Awards. And I had that the black one. I had a red one. So, you know, honey, I got to get in my Sukana dress. I got to get me a, a dress. And you want to be healthy for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, want, and I have a weight goal. I have a specific weight goal. So weight loss is a, is a journey for somebody who used to be skinny and skinty and then had some kids. And I was like, <laughs> you know, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to de-fluff. 
from the children. We're kind of matching color-wise today. I like the fact that we had like a pink memo that went out. I know. I love that. I love that. It's like a cherry rose. Kind I love of you. Yeah, I love your top too. Oh, thank you. So this what is else like is going on, Miss Lady? Let's let's get into some hot topics. Let's do, because we have a guest coming up. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about, I don't want to get into the details because I feel like it has been overkill um, of only, you know, of the, the shooting out in Boulder, Colorado, um, and the, the mass shooting, um, in Atlanta, you know, and our, of course, our hearts go out to those families of the victims in those situations. But I feel like with everything that we have been dealing with as a country, um, and when you're, I feel like the wall to wall coverage of that has just been a lot on the, on the cable news. Um, you know, it is just heartbreaking and, you know, anybody who doesn't know the details, Google it because we have talked about it. I, I, you know, but the question that I wanted to pose to you was, you know, because it's so funny after the shooting in Boulder, I was talking to my mother and she was talking about going to the grocery store, you know, that shooting happened at a grocery store and she was saying, you know, how she just felt she was going to go, but she felt some kind of way going to the grocery store. And then later in the day, I had the exact same conversation with someone about, you know, just like this fear you feel going to the movie theaters, to the, you know, just out in the world to just live your life, right? Going to work. You just never know where these uh, gunmen are going to show up. And I I just wonder how you feel about that. Like, do you move differently in the world? Do you feel yeah. safe? Are you thinking about, you have a gun, don't you? Do you have a gun? Well, we've been licensed. So we're still waiting for our gun permits to come through, uh, Jason and I. You know, because like, I'm not, I mean, people just assume I'm very anti-gun. No, I grew up in Colorado. Like, I'm not anti-gun at all. I just don't understand why people would want to have AR-15s. Those AR-15s are people hunters, you know? It's different having a shotgun or a, a pistol to protect them. No one's protecting their home with an AR-15. Let's just be clear. That's for spraying bullets and killing many people. There's, there's, you cannot hunt with an AR-15. I mean, if you know anything about guns, and I'm actually a pretty good shot, by the way, but, you know, as I know a little bit about guns, you can't actually kill a deer with a AR-15, you would disintegrate the deer, you know? So, so you don't have it for hunting. It's not a shotgun. It's a, it's a people hunter. So um, the people who want those guns either want them for collecting or they are to have some other, I don't, I don't understand it. I, I'll be honest with you. It's a, it's a gun for hunting. They, yeah, they are preparing for civil war, you know? Civil war, yeah. I think, I think there are some people, the people that are collecting them to me who want the military grade weapons are the people that are preparing for what happened on January 6th. It's yeah, those yeah. type of people. In it's their those- mind they are, right? But yeah. most of them wouldn't a know how to use it well enough to launch such a thing, right? And also if you try to launch, if you think that you're gonna overthrow the United States federal government with the level of military we have, even some of the people who are former military who are like Oath Keepers, if you really think you would ever actually beat the United States military, you don't know. United States military. You will not beat them. You will never be able to overthrow the government versus the actual military. It's not going to happen. But I mean, on to what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Denver, right? We had the Columbine shooting. My sister went to Columbine Elementary School. So it's like, not that far, you know, and, you know, wasn't in, and, you know, the Aurora mass shooting, that's like really near the mall where the Aurora mall, where we used to go to the movies all the time. It's like right there. Um, And so I, you know, the, it's really too close for comfort. And our kids were young when the Aurora theater shooting happened and they refused to go to the movies. I don't know what movie came out. I think Batman was out. It was during the whole Batman and we were going to take our kids to see it and they refused to go. They didn't want to go into a movie theater. And really ever since then, we always sit 
you know, ever since that that uh, the school shooting, in, I mean, the movie theater shooting in Aurora, we sit positioned where we can get out of the theater. We're very situationally aware in the movies. I remember going in Harlem, we all went out a couple of years ago to see a movie on Halloween, which we'll see a, you know, spooky movie on Halloween. A guy came in wearing a white mask and we watched what? the cast the whole time because he was just trying to be scary and spooky because it was Halloween. But we watched his, I watched him more than I watched the movie. I could not be comfortable. Oh my God. And we were just constantly watching him. I literally, when I sit in movie theaters, I think about the egress. I think about where would you hide if, if this, I, I go through the whole thing. I mean, King Supers, where that shooting just took place, we used to shop at King Supers. Not that one, because that one's in Boulder. It's about probably about maybe 20 miles from where I grew up. But we shopped in King Supers. Like I can picture the inside of a King Supers. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's ever present in my mind. What these shootings, wherever I go, I am very situationally aware and very nervous in public because America is soaked with guns and Florida was soaked with guns. There would be shootings in the street over, uh, you know, people getting a fender bender. They would just start letting off popping shots. I am very nervous about Americans. It's not so, I'm nervous about not guns specifically in and of themselves. I'm nervous about Americans because Americans have a creepy, obsessive, freaky relationship with guns. That's not normal. And that no other country has. That is, this is, does not exist in Europe. It's only here. And, and it's, it's amazing how so many of, you know, those gun owners tie gun ownership to, a, to being American. Yes. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a county in Georgia where if you own a home by law, you must also own a gun. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, it's a law, which uh -huh. is crazy. Which is crazy, but a lot of crazy stuff. Well, in Georgia, they allow you to have guns in church. You oh, can yeah. have guns in everywhere. Guns everywhere. Guns in bars. In Georgia, you can have guns in a bar. You know how dangerous that is? You people getting drunk and getting in fights, and then they all got guns? It's out of I control. Mean, but see, I think, I I mean, I'm glad that more Black women, more and more Black women, um, there's a study out that says more Black women are buying guns. And this came out mm -hmm. in 2020, and a lot of them, you know, because they feel like, well, the police aren't going to protect us. We're going to protect ourselves. But it's yep. like, what's that situation where, you know, it, it, what, you know, Breonna Taylor, how was a gun going to help her? You and know her what I mean? boyfriend had a gun. Ahmaud Arbery, is he going to just go out jogging, right. you know, unstrapped to them? It's like, but I do like what Killer Mike has said about, you know, I don't agree with him on everything, <laughs> but I do agree when he was saying that more black people should lean into gun ownership. I and agree. Because, because listen, the federal government, Congress is not gonna be able to do anything to stop it. They're, they're just not, not, not in our lifetime. They're not gonna be able to get these military guns out of the hands of everyday you know, people. It's just yeah. not gonna stop. But well, you know and, what and will stop it in my theory? Hmm. I think if black people started buying these military guns if we showed up in bus loads at these gun shows and things like right. that and had videos of us with all these different weapon you know military grade guns i guarantee you white people would be like just like they're doing with all the voting rights uh, yeah. situations it would be like oh wait a minute because we came out in numbers right we got biden elected we flipped georgia you know got two senators you know into yeah. into um 
into the Senate. And so it's like, I feel like the same thing could happen with guns. I mean, I feel like we need to really lean into gun ownership and military gun ownership, because I think that that would make things change. Because I think there's a racial divide when it comes oh, yeah. to buying these guns. Well, and, I, and you know, you have to realize that in our history, you know, it used to be that almost every black family did have a shotgun because the Klan existed. And well, you know, I mean, you saw sound, you had to have a gun. You had to have a gun because, you know, I remember being down in Sanford, Florida and going across the tracks to where the black people live, um, you know, the very black poor or poor area. And they said the, the train tracks that separated basically white Sanford and black Sanford, the Klan used to regularly march right up to those tracks. And the only thing that kept them from wiping black Sanford off the map is the fact that everybody on the other side of that train track had rifles. And that if the and the clan marched over there several times and tried them, but they all every man in the black side of town had to come out of their house with a shotgun to keep the clan from overrunning their town. And this happened on a regular basis. You know, I mean, the look, the 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 the, the Black Panthers made it very clear that you know having guns, black people having guns, just like white people have guns, it it, it sobers the mind of people who want to come for us. And you know, there's a thing called the NSA. But I think I think it would I I honestly think it would shift the thinking in these laws. If if black people did like white people and really had arsenals of guns and military grade guns, I feel oh, they, like it happened. Jackie, that happened. The, the the Mumford Act, which was the law that banned Oh, over- not a shotgun. Not no, a shotgun. No, I'm talking, no, I'm talking about the kind of guns they have, because that's right. what the Black Panthers had. The Black Panthers used to walk around, like how you see these white folks walking around with these AR-15 type guns. The Black Panthers did that. They walked around with that kind of gun. And they it scared Ronald Reagan so much when he was governor of California that they passed something called the Mumford Act that made it illegal to openly carry in California. It's the Panthers why it's illegal to openly carry in California because they right. quick fast passed the gun. And you know who supported that law to ban open carry in California? the NRA. The NRA was 100% for it because it was about Black people openly carrying the big, scary-looking guns. So and there, that, and therefore, we need to do it again. And by we the way, there's a group There's a group called the NFAC. It's called the Not Fucking Around Coalition. They just it's shortened to NFAC. They marched in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Racist. I saw them. Stone Mountain, Georgia. In, in, that's, you know, that's my hometown. I know, and it scared the hell, the bejesus but, out of folks. But we really, but it, it, it doesn't need to just end with that. Like, to me, there needs to be more of an effort. We need to show us on video doing it. We need to show up at gun shows. But you know what happened? There's, on the one hand, yes, it would it would change people's attitude toward the laws, but also SWAT would show up. I mean, that that's the challenge is that if if we did that, well, why would remember, SWAT show up if we showed up at a gun show to purchase guns? Look what happened to John Crawford III, who was just an innocent man shopping for a toy gun for his son in a Walmart. He just picked up a toy gun. Somebody called 911, SWAT showed up and shot him in 30 seconds. So if we openly carry, we tend to get confronted by police and potentially shot. I'm not if saying openly, openly carry. carry they no, no, no. different. I'm not, I'm not saying openly carry. I'm not saying that because I realize the danger in that. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying show up at gun shows, buy guns, show that we have an arsenal. You know what I mean? Show that we have what they have. And that that will scare them. The fact that we are gunning up, that we are buying guns, that will make a difference. Well, and I me. also think that in general, I think I think black people listen, avail yourself of every right that that the other that everyone else does. And the reality is in this country, you have like a, a right to own a firearm that is only equivalent in places like Iraq. 
Like you can't own a gun in Russia. You can't own a gun like this anywhere except maybe Canada and Iraq. Like they're very, and, and by the way, Canada has the only, they're the closest to us in terms of a Western country with as many guns, but they're like shotguns and pea shooters. This but is the most armed country to... on earth. We are the yeah. most armed country on earth, more than war. And we have the most mass shootings. And we, we have the most, by far, shootings. by I mean, far. We're the most I mean, violent nation. No one comes ever. close to us. It's Not ridiculous. Even Not even close. It, it, are, it's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. crazy. It's great. And it, and it's and by the way, it is in part because of white supremacy, because our gun laws were largely because white men wanted to make sure that they could control slaves and they wanted to make sure that because they were outnumbered in many cases, it was like 300 to 10. And they knew that all these black are black enslaved people were at their mercy. And the only thing that could keep them under control was lots and lots of guns. And so gun ownership is very tied up in the white supremacist history of this country because that's how they controlled hundreds and hundreds of obviously fit, big ass black men who were doing all the work. When you get your gun, will you take it out in your car? Will you carry it with you? No. So, so the laws here where I live, um, you have you can only take, you have, so the first thing you have to do, if you're going to get guns out there, by the way, if you're listening to this and you want to get a gun, the first thing you need to do is find a really good, firearms instructor, which is the first thing we did. Somebody who really knows the laws to make sure that you are legal. Um, now, do your kids know how to fire guns? We're going, well? Nope, we're gonna send them to the same firearms instructor because we don't want, the reason we never had guns when our kids were young is we have boys and boys will find a gun. If you have a gun in your house, your kids will find it and they will fire it. And they probably heard you kill each other by accident and have to live with that for the rest of their lives. We don't want to have to live with that or have our kids have to lock it up. That's the only reason we never had them. So, I mean, but we're gonna take, hmm? well, you can lock it up, but you know, the, the extent to which you lock it up, you know, you can, if you needed to use it in an emergency, there's all kinds of things. But the bottom line is in this state, you can only carry a firearm un, not put together. So you have to take it apart and put it in a, a lockbox to carry it around. I, I'm not trying to get concealed carry. You can get a concealed carry permit, but we don't have that at this point. So I'm not trying to do that. I just don't think wearing a gun in public, I think it's like a dumb- not in public, in your thing. purse. No, no. Will you have it in your car, in your purse? Will you, when you go to the movie theater, will you carry it in a, I'm not saying have it on your hip. Right. But I'm saying, do you feel that you would have, like you've taken, you know what I mean? You've done this training. Yeah. You know, will you carry it? I, I, I think probably not because the reality is when somebody is out as a mass shooter, they've already crossed the Rubicon mentally to decide to kill people. It is not easy. Look, I've hit a cat in my car and, and it ruined the rest of my day and I had a damn near nervous breakdown. I'm not a killer. So it takes a lot more for me to make the decision to shoot someone than somebody who's already crossed that mental so plane and decided to deal with it. You, so you, what are you going to do with it? To protect the home. I think they're, they're okay. good to have in your home. If somebody comes in this house, it's a whole nother thing. You're protecting your domicile and your people and your, your kids, you know? But walking right. around town, am I going to be able to engage a mass shooter? No, because mass shooters generally- not a mass shooter. Team. Yeah. They generally, you know, you're not able to engage them. They're ready to kill. You're not. They're prepared to now, murder. I'm not They're saying not. take on a mass shooter, but if a situation happened, would you pull your gun out? If it wasn't I a mass shooter- I carry it in public. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would not carry it with me. And also, by the way, I would be terrified to have a gun in my car because if you get pulled over by the police, if you even tell them you got a gun in your car and you're black, they're probably going to kill you. <laughs> so I'm not trying to get shot because I have a gun in my car. I, I, I am too afraid of the police. I, I don't trust this process when it comes to policing. 
So yeah, that's a home. That's a thing for the home. That is not a thing to yeah, take out of the home. So true. Well, we got to talk about verses. We got to talk yes. about Oh, verses. girl, gotta, yes. Wait, got to talk about Earth, Wind & Fire and the Isley Brothers first off. Because, okay. Oh my God. That's Easter weekend. Yes. They made that announcement. People lost their mind <laughs> about what they're going to wear, what they're going to put on. <laughs> I don't even know how this is going to happen. Like, who from Earth, Wind & Fire and who from the Ozzy Brothers is going to be there to make the decision as to what gets played? I mean... I don't know, no, no, I no, mean, no. The hits. The hits. <laughs> I don't know. That is, that's such a great matchup. I mean, and for, yes, oh. it is. It's going to be amazing. And Versus is everything. <clears throat> we had one producer on our team say that she does not like Versus. And we, I nearly fell all the way out. I was like, what? She don't like it. Was so she, she said that they're lip syncing. Because she said they're lip syncing, so it's not good. But I'm like, no, they're playing all their hits. And they sing along to it. So It's, it's not a not, concert. It's not a concert. It's just, How oh. does she not know that it's not a concert? Not a concert, but it's everything. It's every damn thing. And it's going to be. Oh, okay, girl, I love Versus. I, I love what it is. You got to answer the root question. So the root question is. Who is more white famous of those two groups? The Isley Brothers or Earth, Wind & Fire? Isley Brothers. You think you know the Isley Brothers is more white famous than, the, than Earth, Wind & Fire? I'll give you, I'll tell you one reason why. Why? Fucking twist and shout. See, a lot of people say that, but you don't think that, do you remember 29th of September? Nah, I never even heard a white person sing that song. What? No. I'm not in, not in just... You know, but um, um, no, no, I haven't. But that whole Animal House situation, that song from Animal House that the Isley Brothers did, white people love oh, I, not, what, what song was it? I don't remember Animal House. What, what, what was the, um, um, I'm saying Twist and Shout, but that's not it. What's the song that the Isley Brothers did? Wait, let me look it up. The Isley Brothers did a song in, 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 um, See, I didn't even know that. See, maybe, maybe I just don't know. But let's bring our guest in. This is going to be exciting. We have a good conversation coming up. This is my friend, my buddy, Yashar Ali, who is, well, he's just Yashar to those of you on Twitter, and everyone does. Uh, Yashar is probably the best follow. Probably more celebrities follow Yashar than anybody else on the Twitters. Uh, and he just knows everything, where it, whether it's politics, whether it's, entertainment, um, if you ever want any like Chrissy Teigen information, he knows that. He knows who's buying what house and he just knows everything, all things entertainment. Uh, he contributes uh, to the Huffington Post and to other journalistic uh, outlets. The great Yashar is here. Give him a hand of applause. Hello, hello. What's up, my Hi. friend? How are you? I am tired. Oh my God. I heard you might've gotten a little bit of a Fauci situation happening. That's right, the first Fauci. That's your first Fauci. We're all one Fauci. We're all uni Fauci. We are. <laughs> when, did you, when did you get it? How long ago? Uh, I, 20 minutes ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's why I was late getting on here. <laughs> no worries. No Which worries. one did you get? What brand did you get? Moderna. Oh, my God. You two got the Kizzy Me vaccine too. and I didn't in the Dolly Parton. I'm so... I got the Dolly Parton. Yeah, you, okay, you're getting my black card, Yashar. You have to take my, my, my black Jesus, card. Jesus was watching me and, and, and blessed me this morning. <laughs> oh my God, I'm the only Yashar, one. Yashar, you're so it. well researched. Which one, did you, is that the one you wanted to take or were you kind of like, whatever they give me, I'm good with each of the three? My feeling on this, these three vaccines, the Johnson Johnson and Pfizer and Moderna is all of them will keep you out of the hospital. All of them will prevent you from getting really sick. 
That's all that matters to me. Yeah. Now, when I was going through the testing places and choosing which one I would go to, you know, they list which vaccine they have. I chose the Moderna. But if I got there and say that they said Johnson and Johnson, I would have taken that. Yeah. That's yeah. Why, why Moderna? Why, why was that the one that you wanted? Dolly Parton. Exactly. Oh, my God. I'm so left out. I'm going to my card over to you, Shar, right now. <laughs> Iran just, okay, we're switching places. I'm now Iranian. You are now black. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, let me tell you something. It's going to be a surprise to my mother. <laughs> <laughs> She'll love me, Yashar. She will love me, I promise. <laughs> well, we wanted to have you on to talk about a number of things, but first and foremost, we want to talk Sharon Osbourne. There's oh. been so much going on. You have been so on top of uh, that particular situation. And I want to start with what is the latest? Um, with, do you think she's going to stay employed there? I, I would be very surprised. Why are they taking she, so long? You know, this stuff always takes a long time because people in Sharon Osbourne's position, unlike a regular employee, you know, that's like a crew member, they have, as you, as you both know well, they have agents and lawyers who, who have very, very um, extensive talks with networks to decide what's going to happen with the person because Sharon was allowed to behave this way for so long. CBS can't fire her. They, they knew this was happening and they knew she was a problem and they allowed her to be this way because that's how they allow, allow big stars to behave who in this case are white. They get away with a lot and you can't fire her for cause. And so you, you've got to decide in this situation, usually most of these network contracts for the daily talk show, they have a, it's a year contract plus a year option. It's the network's decision, whether they pick up the year option, they've got to now negotiate how much they're going to pay her out. What? It's like a yeah. Megan Kelly situation. Well, let me ask you, because you said to behave this way. Because she denied that she ever used terms like ghetto. She said she's never used that word except for talking about the Warsaw ghettos. And she sort of made a lot of denials. You then uncovered, which is why everyone should be following you on Twitter at uh, at Yashar, um, that uh, no, actually, she's said a lot of stuff before. So there's a history. There, there, there's a history there. She used she called Leah Remini, who who in this case for the for my story, which which I revealed that she's you know she called Julie Chen, who is Chinese American, wonton, slanty eyes. She used homophobic language about um, uh, Sarah Gilbert, who was another co-host on uh, on the talk. Many of you know Sarah from from the Roseanne Show, and she she. I found a clip of her calling Leah Remini ghetto on the show. And she's, she's sitting there and, and giving this interview to Variety saying, I have never used that word. Her, her representatives and other folks are saying she's never even used that word before unless she's talking about the Nazi ghettos. And I, I, I found a clip of her using that term because, and the reason she used that term about Leah, as everyone knows, Leah, Leah, you know, from the Scientology series and from King of Queens is from Brooklyn, you know, talks like she's from Brooklyn, is proud that she's from Brooklyn. And so yeah. Sharon saw that way, that way of speaking and that accent as quote unquote ghetto. She and do you, what do you think happened with Holly Robinson Pete in that situation? Was that Holly said that, you know, Sharon complaining about her being quote unquote ghetto was why she got fired. Yeah, there's no doubt that Sharon led to Holly 
and Leah getting pushed out of the talk after just one season. Um, there's, there's just not even open to discussion because Sharon was in such a powerful position at that time on the show. And because she would bring in attention, she would bring in ratings that CBS just gave her whatever she wanted. And when she saw Holly and Leah as a threat, she made moves to, to get rid of them. The thing with Holly is, is that she was, she's had an issue with Holly, not a legitimate one since they were on the celebrity apprentice together. And she tried to get rid of Holly before the show even started uh, by taking Leah Remini, as I revealed in my story, taking Leah Remini out to lunch saying, we've got to get rid of Holly. And and Leah wanted no part of it. Mm. And let's all remember that Holly Robinson is also the one who, Holly Robinson Pete revealed that she was called the N-word on The Apprentice and Donald Trump denied that. And then that turned out to be true. Um, Let's uh, talk a little bit about Sharon Osbourne's claim, um, Yashar, because she claims that during the segment in question, um, in which, you know, this is what blew all of this up, that the other cast members, because we know on some of these talk shows and there are others that also do have a, a problematic uh, but uh, ratings driving guest, that she, this isn't the only show that's like that, uh, hashtag uh, The View. <laughs> There's other shows that have that same sort of issue. But anyway, <laughs> she claims that um, she was set up because all the other cast members were given pre-made questions to ask her to confront her to sort of basically embarrass her. That's what she's claiming. Is there any truth to that? So she said to a number of outlets that that this was all set up. First, she said it was set up by producers this way. And then she she later added to the story and said, CBS executives engineered this move. She said she was blindsided. Well, I'm using her own words now in, in what she described, what what went down to E.T., when she did her first interview, she told ET that she showed up late to work that day, which she is known to do. And as you all know, with these shows, there's a couple hours of prep before you start filming. So she missed that prep. When she walked in, she says, again, these are her words. She walked in the showrunner, executive producer said to her, Hey, you know, do you mind talking about the situation with Piers Morgan and your tweet about Piers Morgan? And Sharon says, she says it was fine. She says a couple minutes before filming, they went back to her again and said, we're going to ask about Piers Morgan. She said, okay. And so this business of blind, that's not blindsiding. Blindsiding means you're sitting there on the show and then it comes up when you were never told (laughs) that it was going to be discussed. Right. And she, you know, we all saw that clip of Cheryl Underwood, who is her black co-host, who has been on the show for, for 10 years you know, asking her calmly about the situation, not antagonizing her. Yeah. And, you know, it, there was, there was such an easy moment there for Sharon, for Sharon to say, boy, did I mess up with that tweet? It was tone deaf. I wasn't thinking, I wasn't factoring in how people felt about that interview and about Piers' reaction to it. And I messed up. It could, it would have been over. Mm-hmm. But instead what yeah, happens is she, she antagonizes her coworker. She orders her black coworker to not cry. And that's what opened all of this up. So then Holly Robinson comes out, Holly Robinson P comes out and says, this is what Sharon said about me. And then she sends a legal threat to Holly and says, I'm gonna sue you unless you take that tweet down. Mm. 
What? So, yeah. I didn't know about that. Yeah. So, so then speaking so of Brooklyn, Leah Remini <laughs> calls me, who I've known for years, and who had told me some of this stuff off the record a few years ago. See, that's the thing is that I had a lot of this reporting mm. years ago for all of my Les Moonves stuff. You know, I did this story about Janet Jackson being undermined by Les Moonves. So Leah calls me and says, basically says, I am not gonna let Holly be silenced. I'm not gonna let Cheryl be silenced. Here's, Here's what went down. You have the notes from a few years ago. Here are some emails. Here are the receipts. And I did the story. Wow. Because, you know, Leah, Leah Remini is badass. You go after Scientology, okay. she or not, it's nothing. But let me ask you this, because why did CBS end up doing this investigation into what happened? Because I want to say, I think it was on the Entertainment Tonight interview, and I don't know if she was telling the truth, but Sharon Osbourne somewhere said that she was the one that called for the investigation because she wanted to know which executives, right, were asking the, were made sure that the co-host asked her certain questions. Like, how did the investigation part of this start? And the for investigation this, part, I've been really hiatus. clear. I, I've been very clear in my story that I did that that the investigation was not about an, a sort of a typical HR investigation of the Sharon Osbourne. Usually when there are these stories of misconduct or racism, sexual harassment, you know, most networks now have a process, even Fox News does, where they suspend the person, they bring in lawyers, they do a whole investigation. CBS launched this investigation to look into the circumstances behind that segment. It wasn't about Sharon Osbourne. Hmm. Now they're asking about Sharon Osbourne because my story and Leah Remini, as you, as you all know, both of you know, being in, in, in media and journalism, when somebody goes on the record, especially someone famous, you know, it sort of sets, changes the bar, right? And when Leah went on record, that's when all of a sudden Sharon became a part of the investigation, meaning she had, she was a subject of the investigation. But initially it was into the circumstances behind that segment. So basically looking on behalf of Sharon, what happened? I just don't get why it's taking so long. I just don't understand what I, I understand what you're saying about lawyers and things like that, yeah. but it's almost, I mean, are you, are you saying that because CBS knew about this behavior and they let it happen that, that they could also go down if Sharon goes down, yeah. she takes them down with her. Yeah. She's, she knows what they've allowed to happen. I mean, this happens so often. If you look at the situation, with Roger Ailes, yeah. Gretchen Carlson had audio mm. of Roger Ailes sexually harassing her that is immediately fireable offense no question about it you can fire him you don't have to pay him out of his contract but the murdochs knew this man knows where all the bodies are buried and they had to give him 40 million dollars to go away well yashar this is a question that i do have because it does feel like the media is in this sort of moment of reckoning where you do have white hosts who get a lot of leeway you know Mm -hmm. um to, to do and say a lot of really problematic things because it does drive attention, it does drive ratings, but it can also feel really abusive to coworkers of color. And while all of these networks are trying to sort of change their, um, their the sort of the way that they look to people of color and say, look, we're trying to be more in- inclusive, et cetera, it does still seem like that archetype is all over the media of the problematic yeah. white member of the cast who gets to really push the limits on abusing not just their colleagues, but the audiences. And a lot of these audiences are heavily black. 
yeah, daytime audiences. Black women drive daytime shows and and are the 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 sort of what keeps them on the air. Um, and you know, the the way that media in general has forgiven the behavior of of white talent, people are be allowed to behave in a certain way that I mean, I just it's unfathomable to imagine a black woman being able to do anything that Sharon Osbourne has done, use racial racist language to to undermine coworkers constantly. You know, I think of I think of Gabby Union, Gabrielle Union. That, that's another story that I did. You know, um, in the circumstances about NBC. She was labeled as difficult and as a major issue by Simon Cowell because she did not want Jay Leno to make racist anti-Asian jokes because she asked a contestant, as we all know, Gabby and her husband, uh, Dwayne Wade, have a trans daughter because she asked the contestants what her pronouns were. Mm -hmm. And because she had the audacity to say that Simon Cowell smoking indoors, which is against California law, you know, was was making her sick because she's allergic to cigarette smoke. She was labeled as a difficult member of the cast, and she was eliminated. Mm. Sharon Osbourne has gone on with such egregious behavior over the past 11 years that would be just, I, I can't even imagine, not only a Black woman, any woman of color, but mm. but particularly, you know, the way that, that Black women are treated by media networks. Um, I it just I can't imagine it ever being possible. And you know, and what happened at Teen Vogue? Look what happened at Teen Vogue. The the young woman yeah. who's at Axios, who's now right, on like ever that. get a job again. And she was like seventeen when she did what she did. But there are there are other people working in journalism that have done you know similar tweets that are okay. It is. It does feel like you're right. I can't imagine a black woman being able to do any of that. No. And look at look at look as far back as um, The Apprentice with Donald Trump. You know, at, at when he started running for office, and you know, you probably heard about this stuff way before you know anybody else did. But his behavior on that show, um, you know, behind the scenes using the N word, you know, people were saying and doing so so many other things. It's just like. It's amazing to me that these networks seem to reward this type of behavior from their white host. And they also see people as, in, as indispensable unnecessarily. If you think about somebody like Matt Lauer, and you know, I would just say, or, or Charlie, let's talk about Charlie Rose or any, but any other these men that have gone down. You know, there's always this internal concern within networks, like, oh, if if this person goes, the ratings, you know, are going to be affected. And that's never the case. And yeah. no, no one's indispensable. And they never see, by the way, I, I just don't know of an example. This is my own personal experience. I've never heard a network executive say that someone who is black or a person of color is indispensable. No. And these white people leave with a payday. You mentioned Always. Leave. They leave with like, they don't have to work again like multi-millions. Multi but still want to work again and still want to be like really visible and in public. It's weird. It's like- Somebody give me $60 million. Right? I guarantee you if Sharon Osbourne leaves, um, you know, this show that she'll end up somewhere else, probably co-hosting with Piers Morgan somewhere who will also sure. land another job. Let me tell you about Sharon Osbourne's thing. 
and, and we're getting, I'm getting into a little media stuff here that I don't know if your audience would be interested in, you know, these shows that, that she does like America's got talent and all these other shows and X factor, they, that format is sold to like a hundred countries. Every mm-hmm. country has its own version of the voice of American idol of, you know, all of these shows, right. She could go and make millions and millions and millions of dollars being a celebrity host or celebrity judge, I should say, of The Voice Australia, mm-hmm. of The Voice Germany, of X Factor, you know, Spain. Yeah. And right? isn't Piers already negotiating his next deal, even after what he did to, to just really lead the attack mob on, you know, uh, on, uh, on Meghan Markle, but he'll Markle. land too, right? Pierce is more popular than ever in England, at least. His 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 ratings have I mean his popularity has gone up as a result of this. Um, and you know, he can write his own ticket and the and the ratings of his show that he left, the morning show, have gone down since he left. Um and again, that doesn't go against my argument of, of someone not being, you know, indispensable, but the fact is is that you know, these people that bring a lot of attention to shows, um display behavior on air that they're again their black co-hosts or their co-hosts of color could never display on air so you know these networks want people to bring in attention they want people that, that get them lots of you know uh attention on social media because now a lot of social media numbers are factored into the nielsen data that, that's sent to, to advertisers but you know a black host could not do what Sharon Osbourne did. No, they'd be fired. And if they did, they wouldn't. They wouldn't leave with that kind of money. That's that's the thing. I mean, not Holly didn't get anything. Nothing. What? Right? Why no, did Holly, I Holly didn't give her any money? Holly Holly left. They 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 did not re- pick up her option. She dealt with a hostile work environment, and she, um, you know, obviously being called ghetto and all this other stuff, um, you know, is is example of racism within the workplace. And and she didn't sue because I don't explain to you all how does that look? She had to put food on the table. She had to go make money. She was not about to piss off Les Moonves or any network head because the second you do that at that time, now it's improved a little bit. But at that time, I mean, you're done. You're not going to get work. And she had to put kids through college. Wow! Wow! That's a shame because I, yeah. I was I was surprised when I when she came out after the Sharon Osbourne incident and said what she said publicly on Twitter because I had I never knew any of that had happened to her. Um, here's the here's the crazy thing is that Leah actually said it years and years ago on record. Really? And to show you how the media reacted to things, it never got much attention, but she said it years ago on record. Wow. And really? um, no one paid attention to it then. And, and she talked specifically about Sharon Osbourne's behavior. Sharon Osbourne know. calling her and Holly ghetto. Wow. And nobody, yeah, I never so heard that. It, it does feel like we're, 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 we're kind of moving forward, but not really. Because even, you know, just to switch for a moment to the Meghan Markle situation, you know, you've had one paparazzi organization go bankrupt because she yeah. did sue them. She actually did have the resources to be able to sue, thank God. But it doesn't feel like the tabloid world has learned much from it. And you're right. It's not only these companies that are rewarding people who have this bad and in many cases really racially ugly behavior, but it feels like tabloid world is still 
making money off of it too. Stronger than oh. ever. Yeah. stronger than ever. Let me tell you something. After the Meghan Markle thing, you know, people did what they did with Princess Diana. It's like, oh, these British media, it's horrible and horrible this and horrible that. Well, guess what the British media does in these situations? They start to do stories against the palace saying that Prince Charles is in crisis and, you know, people, the queen is doubting this and queen is doubting his, you know, ability to do this and that. And guess what happens with us? we eat up those stories because if we don't like somebody, it doesn't matter who, and by us, I mean the collective media audience, right? Yeah. You know, if, 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 if the, you know, one of these tabloids, like the sun is doing a story that is bad for, for Prince Charles or bad for Prince William. And we are feeling angry on behalf of Meghan Markle. We click on that, that story. Yeah. Even though that outlet has been, responsible right. for carrying yeah. some of the most racist stuff. Uh, well, let's talk about that. I, I want to go back to the, you know, to these television networks, right? You know, we saw what happened over at ABC and what came out about, you know, I, I can't remember this woman's name. Is it Barbara? Oh, Barbara Fadita. That was my story. Yeah. Barbara Fadita. Yeah. 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 Are there all your stories, man? No, no, no. There's <laughs> so many stories I don't do. Let me tell you. I just, I'm getting lucky on this. <laughs> podcast <laughs> but you know what I mean it's like so after you know after that after with George Floyd and everything that happened last year with the tragic death of George Floyd you know all these companies even at NBC at our company you know we're going to put a diversity uh person in place we're going to you know put this panel in place we're going to change this I mean what's your feeling about I, I just really I haven't seen the evidence that there is going to be real change even with, and, and, you know, look no further than how CBS is handling this whole Sharon Osbourne um, mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. I just don't feel like these networks are really committed to making serious change. They're just saving face and saying, hey, look at us. We're not racist. We have a diversity person. But I feel like a lot of the people that they hire to be diversity people, you know, even if they are people of color, are people that white people are comfortable with. Do you know yeah. what I mean? In a lot of these diversity situations, they're they're the kind of people of color that aren't going to make trouble. They're only going to push so hard and they're going to push in a way that's in agreement with the white executives who hired them. And I feel like that's problematic. I mean, what do you think from what you're hearing behind the scenes? The diversity person, and I, I don't want to make a blanket statement of diversity people, but, but often I see a diversity person as, a, as similar to a person in HR. They're there to represent the, the bosses. Yeah. And, and so, you know, with all this diversity stuff and, and, you know, these networks always hit me up and other reporters saying, oh, these are our latest numbers and all this other stuff. And, and networks have made some improvements on, you know, with respect to their on-air talent, um, some minimal, I should say. But what I always say to people is, okay, who's, who's the head of accounting? Who's the head of HR? Who's the head of, who's, who are your executives? How many producers that are either black or people of color do you have on your show? Because, you know, these networks will put up five people that are black, that are, you know, in terms of talent that are anchoring or on-air reporters that are frequently featured. And that's important. I'm not discounting that at all. But if your senior vice presidents are all white and you're, you know, you're all the people that have the, the, the sort of the real power in the network that can make things disappear or make people disappear. Who's, who's your head of standards? You know, 
if all those people are white, then forget about it. You aren't doing anything. And that's just stuff that people don't think about. And I understand why they don't think about it because you see what you see on air and you feel good about it. Yeah. And, but, but if the person that's deciding what goes on the air is racist, then <laughs> we, we, there's, I mean, Barbara Fadita is racist. Yeah. And she was the most powerful woman in, in, in television news on an executive level and destroyed people's careers that disagreed with her and, and had the audacity to, to talk about the number one black star, number one star, I should say in general, but also who happened to be a black woman, Robin Roberts at ABC, um, in, in horrifically racist terms saying she should be glad she's not picking cotton. You know, so if, if, if the Barbara Fadidas of the world are still there, none of it matters to me, you know, yeah, um, well, because they can still control this, everything. I think we should take this time to big up NBC, <laughs> MSNBC Universal and NBC Universal that does have a black and a brown person in charge. Oh, that's right. <laughs> See, that's, that's an example of something. And who, who has, you know, that's, that's talking the talk. And, and the thing is, is that, is that um, it, it, you know, so much of, of how things are covered, I'm, I'm not saying this to you all, I'm saying this to the audience, yeah. is impacted by these executives. Yeah. They make the decision whether they, that someone's allowed to get on a plane to go somewhere to cover a story. Right. And do you think the entertainment side, because, you know, I feel like on the, the news side, you know, and again, you know, I'm, I'm being some officious, but I'm, I'm serious. I mean, I have to big it up to NBC Universal. I mean, a, a brown guy is our biggest boss and our boss at MSNBC is a black woman. I mean, that is just undeniable change. But on the entertainment side, it feels slightly different for all of the networks because for whatever reason, this formula of problematic white hosts with non-white hosts near them taking the abuse rates. And I don't understand why it rates. As you said, you're predominantly Black women audiences are watching this and sort of taking this in. And then you see all the complaints about it on social media, but these shows are still on. I, can you explain that? It's, I think audiences like humiliation. You know, I think people like to see people humiliated. And I think, I think of the whole Real Housewives series, if you're talking about entertainment as an example of that, you know, and this this culture that just loves to like, you know, we haven't, I, when we're talking about the free Britney stuff about how the media, you know, treated women um, in, in the late 1990s and the early two thousands and people were like, well, you know, thank God I've, I've seen a new light and seen, you know, I used to watch those things and I used to like go along with that and no more. And it's like, you're watching the bachelor. <laughs> right as as black right. women are villainized on those shows are you watching the real housewives are you watching yeah. are you consuming all this Meghan markle nonsense you know with with a you know sort of like a like treating her like a villain nothing's yeah. changed yeah nothing's changed you know, and, speaking and, of the bachelor have you followed that story at all with you know, that that situation. I mean, I feel like that's another, you know, now, so they officially have a new host now, right? Yeah, or is that I think so. I think Chris, I don't know what's happened. Chris Harrison is gone. I don't, I, I unfortunately, I don't know much about um, okay. the, the the Bachelor, but but I mean, I'll, I'll give you one example with The Bachelor that just made me feel like, you know, nothing's changed. You had the first black Bachelor 
in in like what 30 seasons or 25 seasons or something yeah. this past season and what did they do and i and i actually tweeted about this so this is some reporting a little minimal reporting that i have on the bachelor they made him do a segment where he confronted his father who was estranged from him for years his, what yeah and and they aired it and he I just sat there and I'm like, because I didn't want to assume that he wasn't, I, I didn't want to like sort of take his agency away as if he was ordered to do it. I was told that he was pushed to do it. And he tweeted, his tweets were very interesting. He basically said like, I didn't, you know, I want to be careful about these stereotypes. And it's like, ABC is airing this segment that just to millions of people that goes into this stereotype about black men being absentee fathers. Yeah. Mm. And it's like people internalize this stuff just as people internalize all the nonsense about Britney Spears. Yeah. 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 You know, and they just believe it. Yeah. They they believe it and it just adds to it. And it's like this is not this was not necessary for telling your story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I know for oh, go ahead, go ahead. And I know for a fact that he did not pitch it. You know, if he pitched it, I can't say anything about that. That's none of my business. If he wanted to confront his father, that's his that's his that's his decision. But ABC's the one that pitched it. Wow. And well, I gotta ask you to who's making the decisions, right? Who's producing these shows? Who's making yeah. who's determining what the narrative is for the guys that are bachelors? And I am in no stretch of the I am in no way a fan of the bachelor. I I, I never watched it because I felt like from the beginning they never, you know, included black people in that. And it just wasn't my thing. But when there were these, you know, claims of racism, you know, beyond them never choosing anyone black to be a bachelor um, or bachelorette until the, you know, 11th hour, then I leaned into what was going on, uh, particularly this season and really started paying attention. But I had not heard that um, situation. And I just, uh, that is, yeah. I, I, that is crazy. But I got to yeah. ask you one other question while we do have you here, um, Yashar, because there was another issue that came up and this isn't even, this is going broader in terms of the diversity question. So friends of mine, uh, brown folks are, are, are not happy uh, about another show. And this is also a CBS show, another CBS issue. This show, uh, the United States of Oh uh, yeah. In which basically it's like, it is it, he's sort of a mammy-ish kind of character. Like they bring this guy over who was supposed to be the Afghan interpreter. By the way, the actor is not Afghani. So that's one issue people have. I think he's Indian American. And he plays this Afghan interpreter who comes to the this family to basically, I don't know, kind of be almost like a mammy in a way, like be and around their kids. Solve all their problems. And solve all their problems. And the family is white. Um, the guy who he was the translator for is a white guy. He brings him to his family. It's almost like Balky, like in the old uh, yep. show with Beth. Perfect so, Strangers. Like Perfect Strangers. Yeah. So bring him over. There's two pieces to it. One, just the portrayal of him as sort of the butt of all the jokes. The show is called The United States of Al, but he's not like the central character. The white guy is the central character. He's like sort of a sidekick. And then yep. the second uh, piece of it being, apparently that story was pitched by a black man who was a former uh, U.S. military veteran and the and CBS took the story but didn't give it to him. Is that yeah. true? Did they really take the story from a black guy and give it to this white cast? Well, certainly the evidence seems to be be that that they did. I, I can't I don't have that in a reportable way because I haven't spoken yeah. to the, the parties, but it seems like they have an issue here. And I have to say, 
you know, another example of, of a network, you know, not, I, I don't know why these networks don't stress test their issues. First of all, they shouldn't have a show like this, but like, you think that they would go out to like 30 people in advance and say, what do you think about this? Right. Just you know, 30 people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just to go, go out to 30 people quickly. 30. And say, what do you, think about this? 30. you shouldn't have to do that, but like, just go do it, you know, see what happens because this stuff like explodes and it's like, I could have prevented this in a second. Yeah. And I'm surprised that, that Chuck Lore is the one that's behind this one, yeah. right? And he does that show, Joanne, that I'm always talking about, Bob Hart's Abishola, and he has a whole, you know, he has a lot of successful shows. Yeah. Um, he yeah. did Mike and Molly as well. Um, I was I was surprised that because Bob Hart's Abishola is so well done that I was surprised that this would be his, that this would be connected to him as well. Well, you've got, but you've also got like four Afghan producers on this show, which hmm. was very surprising to me. And you've, you've got these, it's not like it's all white, like producers, right. Which is, you know, what typically what we see in these situations yeah. and, 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 and the producers that are, that are, you know, people of color on that show keep on saying, wait till you see it. And, you know, just, you're just basing, you know, your, your concern on the trailer for the show. And it's like, well, why don't you do a better trailer then? <laughs> and also, where is that going to go? Where is that narrative going? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of places for that to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's not many options there, as you said. Like, yeah, like, you know, it's not like a, a joke trailer. Like, oh, we surprised you. That's that's the show. And there's a great show that, I mean, of course, I'm, you know, I'm terrible with names, uh, about the guy, the white guy who goes to, uh, become a soccer coach in Great Britain. Oh my God, uh, Jackie. Oh, Ted Lasso. Ted, Ted Lasso. Lasso. Yeah. So great shows like that. They have a multicultural cast that's international. That's doing a complex but like really funny story. So it can be done. You can. Yes, people love like Ted that. Lasso. People it's a great show. Love Ted Lasso. Oh and and it's just like you know all these reboots too. You look at all these all these reboots are white old white shows. Like when they're rebooting Frasier and rebooting. Right. Mad about you. And it's like, you know, I keep asking this and I, I feel like I should probably make a couple of phone calls, but like, you know, why, what, where's living color? Hello. You know, which by the way, where's was, living single? Where's Ling you know. living single? Hello. Living single. But, Two. but yeah. they, are doing, they are doing a reboot. Um, I wonder what you know about this of uh, the wonder years. Fred Savage is one of the producers yeah. on it, but it's with an all black cast. It's the same time period. Um, uh, but with a little black boy who is the star, black actor, and his, you know, it's a, a black family. And so it'll be interesting. To see. I'm curious about that. That's um, interesting to me. But what I always say with that, again, I'm preaching to the choir here. How much, how much runway are you going to give this show is what I want to say to the network. Are you going to cancel it after right. three, three episodes? Right. And yeah. that's what happens. Right? And how many it's black writers are in the room? What's the writing yeah. like? It's yeah. like some shows are on and it's like, how is this show still on? It's like terrible. <laughs> Who's watching it? Nobody's talking about it. And then there's a show that comes on and it just, you know, they cancel it after the first season. Yeah. And that's why this, I have to say there is some value or not some value. There's a lot of value in these streaming services um, because they can have, because they aren't reliant on advertisers, yeah. you know, they can, they can give these shows room to grow. And, you know, um, and, and some of the cable networks too, like if you think about HBO doing this deal with Issa Rae, you know, 
she has the freedom to do what she wants there because they don't have to obsess over, you know, ratings in turn, like, you know, on the episode basis. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I just think that's when you get the best work out of people. Yeah. I'm happy for Issa Rae. She got a, what, an eight figure deal. Yeah. Uh, nice. Warner, Warner Brothers Media As, to just create TV and film. I had, I had a black agent text me and say she got a white man deal. <laughs> hey, we, you know? we love it and we love to see it. Go no. ahead. And I hope more and more of that happens. I really do. But it feels like it's just going to take a long, long time. Okay, I got to ask you about the Hollywood Foreign Press, NBC. Oh, my God. Something about that situation. Is there like what's new on that situation? Because I mean, what's NBC going to do? Can I say something? Why are why do we care? And I'm not, I want to talk about this, but I'm saying why do why is this business so concerned about the Hollywood foreign press and the Golden Globes? Thank you. Start That's a new exactly award show. Thank you. Make Thank up you. a new award show. Thank I don't you. care because it's not like you, you, these people. By the way, it's like who they don't have power anymore. This is nope. not the 1980s and 90s where they could write bad stories about you. All of this, all these movies and TV shows are promoted in other ways now. Yep. It's like we're holding, we're being held hostage to this organization with 120 members. None of them are black, which is just insane. Yep. And and also they're like open to bribes and other stuff. There was an actress, like 10, 20 years ago, there was an actress that sent watches to each of the members. <laughs> like, like, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. Like, I just wish, I love what the publicists, like all the, all the big publicity firms got together and wrote this letter to the Hollywood Foreign Press and said, none of our clients are going to do anything with you until you prove that you, you know, are serious about this. But we're talking about the biggest publicity firms, the biggest stars. Yeah. How That happens so rarely, my jaw drops, because usually it's all lip service. That's a big deal. The studios could all get together tomorrow and say, we are done with the Hollywood Foreign Press. They would be right. over. Yep. 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 And I can only so imagine what kind happened? of riot. Why, why have they carried so much weight? Like, why has this continued for it's so It's bizarre long? to everybody. No one understands it. And why is NBC so afraid of them? I mean, it took those publicists taking that action for NBC to say, well, we're going to do something. We're going to, you know, have some meetings and see what's going to be done. Not that we're going to not air this if they don't make changes, but it's just, you know, like what? I, Hollywood Foreign Press has naked pictures of some of these executives. I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense to me. They write a story in Poland about how much they don't like. I mean, I don't get it. And also, I'm not sure that the shows rate anymore because you know, I mean, for me, I didn't watch any award shows this season because yeah. Twitter has made it unnecessary. I can see all the fashion, which is all I want to see is what the red carpet fashion. There aren't any yeah. red carpets anymore, and so all you want to see is the fashion and who won, and you can get that on Twitter and do whatever you're doing at home. Like you don't have to actually, you don't have to watch it anymore. It's not must see TV. No, they, it's not. They I mean, they yeah, want to be they, in the room. They and they know that it helps with 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 the sort of overall, like you know, Netflix really cares about awards because they're trying to prove themselves as like an art artsy streaming service. So they love the Oscars and all that other stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is they can overnight force the Hollywood Foreign Press to completely shift totally. everything literally say, you know what? No one is going to do interviews with you anymore. We right. aren't going to come to the Golden Globes. The Hollywood Foreign Press is funded by the licensing fee they get from the Golden Globes. <laughs> so it's, it's, they can end all of it tomorrow. And I cannot imagine having that much power and not exercising it. Wow. 
Yeah, I don't, it makes no sense. It's like one of the biggest mysteries in Hollywood. It makes absolutely no sense that they wield the power that they do. Yeah. It's sort of like Anna Winter remaining in charge of Compton House. Like, <laughs> does she have pictures? Does she have pictures of somebody? Because I do not see this woman's value anymore. Don't even get, oh, don't even, don't even start up a whole new thing, Yashara. Don't do it. This <laughs> man in media, Yashara Lee. Uh, thank you for being here. I we, thank you. Fun. You know so, so much stuff. It's amazing. <laughs> I'll come back it. anytime. Oh my God, we are gonna have you. I just love talking. By the way, about this is my so second fun. podcast interview ever in history. I did my first one last week with Leah Remini for her Scientology wow. podcast, and now this is my second podcast interview. And I've been in media for four and a half years. I cannot believe it's taken me this long, but I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Oh, you're uh, wonderful. Yes, you are, my friend. You are now an official cousin. Welcome to the Cousin Nation. You yeah. are now an official cousin. We appreciate you uh, being here. Um, and I'll, I'll text you for more interesting scoops later. <laughs> All right. Cousin Joy, Cousin Jackie, thank you for having me. Hey, Joanne, what a great show. Oh, what my God. What are you going to do for you this weekend? Well, now that once I recover from all of the all the scoops that we got, uh, from, we call him Scoops Scoops Malloy sometimes. We ah. name up to Scoops. We call him Scoops. We pick up a different last name. Scoops Ali. Scoops Ali has given us a ton of stuff. And uh, wow, he wow. really knows a lot. Uh, well, I think this weekend uh, I'm going to spend a lot of my time on the road because I am heading to NYC. I'm coming to your hood, girlfriend. Okay, I'm going to be in New York starting on Sunday. So we're going to be in New York for a couple of weeks because we have to figure out uh, what we're going to do as far as our, 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 our youngins living arrangements and whether or not they're going to stay in New York. You know, the whole thing about the, the, the pandemic is that for a lot of families, you wound up back in the same house, right? Whereas yeah. they had a place for them and we had a place for us and now we're all in the same place. And so the question is, do we keep the place we had out there? So we're probably not. And so now we have to find, you know, help them figure out where they're going to stay if they're going to go back to New York. Because they're now, you know, the vaccines are coming, regular life is coming. And so, you know, the young people are trying to figure out their future. So we're going to go try to help them figure out their lives. So I'm going to do that, but I'm also getting my bike fixed. Jason and I, our bikes are getting fixed on Saturday. So I am preparing to come back and be roller skating, biking. I'm going to have a full spring of fun and fitness. So that's what the stuff I'm going to be doing. What are you going to do for you, Miss Jackie Reed? Something similar, minus the kids. I am going to be uh, hanging out with my dogs. You can hear Oscar in the background them. there. Because the weather is going to be, the weather is getting nicer. Spring is here. I'm also buying a bicycle, but it's taking me, I'm, I'm trying to kind of figure out the exact one that I want. Ooh, um, so I'm going to buy get a track, one. Get a trek. Get, get the kind I have, a trek. When I tell you I could walk to a trek store right up the street from me, but those bikes are ridiculously expensive in my book. And as much as I would be riding, I'm not paying $2,000 for a bicycle. <laughs> that just well, seems that just seems, I, there's so many other things that I, that's just how much I would be writing it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. and like, I'll be writing, you know, around the neighborhood and stuff like that. I might yeah. do a little, you know, trail riding and stuff like that, but nothing serious enough to pay like in the thousands for a bicycle, yeah. but I do <laughs> love their bikes. And if they have something that's, you know, like about $200, then I'll, I'll get something. Somewhere in the middle. Like you don't have to pay two, they, there are $2,000 bikes, but those are for professional bike racers you do not have two thousand dollars for a trek bike there are we did not pay that kind of money we bought but our bikes are old our bikes have been around for like you know 12 13 years but they do have a price below that professional rider price we, we're going to talk because it's a what, 1500 
No, below that. You can get bikes below that. And, and here's the thing that's so crazy about Trek bikes. Our bikes, as I said, are like a dozen years old and all they need is to just get fl- get their um, tires fluffed up and get a quick little tune-up. These bikes, will let, you, you never have to buy another bike. That's what I like about Trek bikes is that you just buy a bike and you never buy another bike. Girl, I'm going to go to Kmart and get <laughs> a little bike like I did back in the day. Do you ever have a Huffy? You ever have a I had a Huffy. I had, a, I had a pink huffy and call it a day. Call it a day. <laughs> you know what? It's so funny. I'll make you laugh. When I was a kid, I wanted a dirt bike because I want, you know, I was basically a boy. As I keep telling you, I was a boy. I wanted to jump my bike like the boys in the neighborhood. They would set up coffee cans and a big uh, piece of wood and jump the bikes. And I wanted to do it too. So I told my mom, I want to, I want a bike, you know, the, the kind of the dirt bike. And she was like, yeah. you're a girl. You're not getting a bike. You're not get, that's not a bike for a, for a girl. That's not a, for a girl. What are you talking about? So she was like, no. So she got me basically a huffy, a girly gr- lime green girl bike. Mm-hmm. And I was so hot. I was so mad. I was like, I'm jumping this bike any hoops. You girl. Back, I took the bike. I got on the bike. They were, they were laughing at my bike. I was like, that's okay. I'm about to jump this bike anyway. I went way back to the top of the block. And I started, here I go, went on past the Pawnee against Sorella's house, kept going past the neighbor's house, way back, went all the way back, started riding, hit that, um, you know, the little wood to go up, yeah, went yeah, the up, ramp. I went up the ramp, oh, <laughs> I went down and I came down on that, the wrong kind of bike, fell off the bike, flew really off the bike, landed straight on my knee. I, to this day, I still have a bum knee. My right knee. I came down so hard. Every and all they could hear was ooh. My mama ran out. My sister ran out. My brother ran out of the house. I came oh down like a ton of brick on that bike, honey. And my knee, like it's like my knee exploded. And my oh. knee has never been right. And I used to run track, so my knee has never been the same. And it, and it used to pop. And for a while, it would just pop out of place. It would just pop out of place, just randomly. I'd be walking, just go pop. You know, so I have a bum knee to this day because I was so determined. My mother said, "You see that you're not a you're not a boy. You need to I, you need to understand your girl. You're not a boy. Look at you trying to bite, run, run your bike." <laughs> oh, <laughs> listen, to and the moral to that story is, Mama's always right. Mama's she always right. I said, "Tell yeah. you, <laughs> if she should have bought me the right bike." Well, there's that. (laughs) I'm not gonna go against Mama because Huffy, Huffy was a good bike. I love (laughs) nothing wrong with that Huffy. My mom was like, you know, she didn't, she didn't feel sorry for me. She was like, you know, you're not a boy. (laughs) Try to tell you. Try to (laughs) let that be the lesson. Let Let your mommy be the lesson for the rest (laughs) of your life. I have, I have the right. I've always got to walk around with the evidence of my uh, (laughs) not listening to my mama. (laughs) And there it is. Mamas are always right. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us. You, of course, can catch Joanne on The Readout every Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. She is going to, like, be flying to get into that seat tonight. (laughs) 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 Let's see if she makes it. (laughs) And you you can catch Miss Jackie Reed, uh, who's all dolled up for today. So uh, you guys want to catch her because she looks fabulous on new york live where they interview fabulous celebrities it's really uh, lots of fun if you are uh, catch it in new york city you can catch it at 11 30 a.m if you're in boston you catch it at 12 30 p.m you gotta wait an extra hour but the most important thing you want to do is to catch jackie reed on vegansexypool.com and also the vegan sexy pool uh site or uh, site the vegan sexy cool what is it? What do you call it on Instagram? The Vegan Sexy Cool page? What do you call it? Vegan Sexy Cool. If you go to vegansexycool.com, you can find the podcast. You can find the Instagram. Find page. 
Instagram, there's an Insta, there's all, they basically just go to com. figure it out from there, get your vegan on, get your fashion, get all your stuff on veganSexyCool.com. So that's it. That's what you need to do. <laughs> oh, wait, I got to tell you this before you go, because you will scream and I'm, I'm going to butcher, I don't, I can't remember his last name or how to yeah. pronounce it, but I interviewed today the actor who played Kwame on I May Destroy You. Oh, uh, his name is Papa. So I can't remember his last name, but he's also in this new series series called Gangs of London. Which I want to see that so badly. Yes, gangs. I've heard about Gangs of London. I have seen it. It is so good. I interviewed him today. I interviewed him and Loretta Divine. It was like such a great day. That's why I'm all dolled up because I had interviews today. Ooh. But so worth it. I'm finding his um, name. I'm, I'm finding his name. I may destroy you. Did it get any? I think it's Asad, Asadio, Asadio, something like that. And I, it's like I had it right in front. His of His name is Papa. Esiedu. Yes. Esiedu. So he must be, what is he, Eritrean? What, what, he's somewhere, he's British, but he's obviously African. Esiedu. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Oh, he came from the Royal Shakespeare Company. Oh my goodness. He was such a great interview. He was the sweetest person to talk to. They're Ghanaian. Yeah. So I'll, I'll post that interview um, when it's when it's edited. But post it was it. lovely to talk to him. But Gangs yes. of London is coming. You guys got to Can't watch wait that. for Gangs of London. I May Destroy You. It's disturbing, but it's so good. It's so good. You want to watch. Uh, and we talked all about that character. Um, oh. Just, you know, what he put into it. I asked him what Kwame, what he thinks, because there won't be a season two, what he thinks right. Kwame was today in the world. Anyway, you got to go. Oh, um, thank you guys for joining us. And we will see you next time. See you next time. Goodbye, everyone.